Welcome to the Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. As part of our rebrand and new name and moving all the podcasts over to Cruise Consulting's website, we're doing a best of series. And this podcast is with uh, Monica and Hannah of Datascore. They're super impressive women, great marketers. And you know what? After this podcast, I ended up hiring them for Cruise Consulting. They're doing a great job for us, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks. Bye. Monica O'Hara and Hannah Russin. From Datascore, welcome to the One California Podcast. Great to have you guys here. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. So for the audience, uh, Monica and Hannah are actually clients of Cruise Consulting. I get to help them with their financials. It's been awesome working together. And they are experts in, I call it like growth marketing. And so I was like, gosh, I think our clientele, the rest of our clientele and the audience out there would love to just kind of hear their expert opinions on everything. And so I wanted to have you over for a podcast. Maybe, Monica, why don't you start off by just kind of t- tell like your life story. Like, how did you get to this point? Sure. Um, so actually, Hannah and I um, and our um, CTO, Ismail, met actually at a previous startup. It was called Speed Date. It was an online dating Ooh. startup. Yeah. And um, we I had a lot of fun I gave you guys a term there. sheet when I was at Lighthouse. <laughs> I actually remember talking. Who's the CEO? Simon Tismaneski. Okay. I talked to yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. And him and Dan Abalon founded it. And um, we had a great time there. So Hannah and I were on the marketing team. Um, I led growth. And we grew it to 25 million members worldwide. So it was quite a rocket ship growing from zero to that. And uh, we sold it to Match.com about three years ago. I that. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So that was fun. Great startup experience. And yeah. now uh, Hannah and I and Ismail help other startups grow. Very cool. I remember I actually met Vanessa, my fiance, and the founder of Cruise Consulting at that time. And I met her on eHarmony, but I remember being like, this video dating sounds pretty cool. Like, <laughs> the speed date thing might work. And I, I remember, like, prepping a term sheet to send to you guys. That's such a small world. That's so, totally crazy. Men are really into video dating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you guys kind of lived it, and now you're doing it on behalf of other startups. Yeah, definitely. So we we learned. So between Hannah and I and Ismail, we kind of cover the kind of full team that a startup needs, like from um, you know marketing to engineering. And what we found is that marketing is so tech heavy now that you really have to have like a technical driven focus to your marketing. And so we help bring that to startups. And um, that's kind of one approach that really helped us win when we were a startup. Mm -hmm. So um, as a small online dating startup, we were never going to outbuy the huge Goliath match.com. So there's no way you're getting up in those two top keywords on Google. Totally, totally. So there's no way we're going to pay 20 bucks a click. So um, so what does a little startup do, right? You have to be smart and scrappy and sometimes, you know, um, apply technology to be better and faster rather than brute force. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, this is a little bit of an open-ended question. I, I feel like I'm putting on a tee for you, but tell us, because Chris Consulting is kind of in this boat too, but like tell the audience how they should do paid marketing. Like what do they, paid advertising, like what do they do? Sure. Um, so that's a great question. <laughs> and um, I think one thing is preparation. So we noticed that, um, you know, Hannah and I have helped, have been consulting for a while. And we've, whenever we talk to early stage startups, one thing that is like lacking almost 100% of the time is like a good foundation for tracking. And that really kind of is the genesis of having a solid paid marketing campaign mm-hmm. and being able to know 
what's working, what's working right? Yeah, because you don't know what spend is translating to what if you're not mm-hmm. tracking things right. Like you're just, oh, great, we got some more customers this month, but you're not even sure if those customers came through your paid marketing, right? It could have just been some word of mouth or something like that. Exactly, exactly. And tracking, I think, to people who don't do marketing day in and day out, um, tracking can be like very confusing and kind of difficult to wrap your head around. And so, um, you know, we try to really help bring that data-driven focus by saying like, okay, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to implement. And we make it really easy for them to make sure they have the relevant tracking in place. Mm -hmm. And to complicate things, now there's so many different platforms. There's web, mobile web, mobile, Android, iOS, and more so you just have to think through like where do your customers live and what do i need to do to know if they're coming to me is it is this this probably is an oversimplification but like i always kind of default to like facebook and google for like this kind of thinking like and maybe that's this is like my r on ramp right by the way we were joking before we hit record that like startups start trying stuff and start experimenting a little bit, and that's exactly where we are, and probably most of our clients are. Like they, want, we want more clients. Our clients want more clients. We don't exactly know how to do it. So I always think like, okay, Facebook. Most of the world's on Facebook. Most of the people are searching for Google. But is that are those the right places to start? And if so, how do we do that? Or if not, where do we start? So it really depends on what your um, overall product is and how expensive your audience is. Like cost varies wildly between what type of product you're selling, how competitive the market is, and what your geo restrictions are. We do a lot of marketing for products that are only available in certain geographies, and that's really cost restrictive. And it's also channel restrictive. Mm -hmm. Like many ad networks aren't good at finding customers just in one specific part or um, city. So depending on what your goals are and kind of what your space is, we would choose channels accordingly. I think that Facebook and Google are always decent places to start. The The real question is, if you're in a brand new category space, you could be doing brand evangelism, which is expensive, and ROI is not good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if you're looking at just getting a sense of where your customers are or testing out different messaging, Facebook is great for that. Mm-hmm. It's a great cross-section of everybody who's out there. It's mm-hmm. great for lifestyle brands. Um, and a lot of the B2B customers that we work with could use sort of that direct response marketing technique um, pretty successfully as well. Uh, you know, if you're in finance, for example, uh, you know, credit card companies or financial services, those keywords and audiences can be pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're going to choose accordingly and base your decisions on ROI. Got it. Yeah, I think when startups begin to think about growth, there's a pretty big menu of things to select from. Mm-hmm. And it's it can be confusing for what to try. So mm-hmm. let's maybe kind of think about the avenues first. Yeah. So there's definitely paid marketing. And Facebook and Google are really fantastic sources of traffic that are generally part of most companies' core marketing um, portfolio. So those are avenues. And there's lots of other avenues as well. Like within that, there's like Pinterest, Instagram, um, and other different ad networks that you can buy from. Then there's also kind of other ideas that you can get into like growth hacking and I say that with like air quotes because um, I think a lot of companies or people have a difficult time understanding what this means and I think 
the way that it's come to be known, like in the startup um, world, is that getting users without, quote, having to pay for them, so not explicitly you know, setting up a campaign on Facebook ads and paying per click for a customer. So um, we'll do a lot of these kind of campaigns for customers depending on what's appropriate for mm-hmm. their um, for their niche. And what we find really successful sometimes is outreach to relevant influencers or bloggers mm. for their uh, for their category. So we do a lot of that. And we actually ended up building some inside tools that we also um, use for our clients and also sell externally. One of them being listbuilder.io which allows you to basically um, scrape a bunch of emails uh, oh. for relevant bloggers and then email them. No so, way. So like... And I'll just use Cruise Consulting as an example. If we wanted to have a bunch of big shot accountants talking about us or big startup people talking about us, we could use ListBuilder.io and actually like send them a cold email or a friendly email and say, hey, here, we're actually really good at what we do. We just want more people to know about this. Can you help us? Totally. And it's it's not just about, you know, sending the cold email, but like actually engaging with them. Mm-hmm. Right. So like thinking of it almost like a BD partnership mm-hmm. um, or, you know, kind of like a PR play where you're trying to, you know, get the contact information for those influencers and bloggers. But at the same time, we'll also get you like Twitter handles and Facebook pages, because one thing we find is like people are so inundated by email now that, you know, you have to really stand out as a real human to these influencers and quote on their blog, you know, uh, give them comments on their blog and tweet at them. And they love that stuff because, you know, everyone wants to feel special. So I think to add on to that, you know, when you're looking at a mass audience of bloggers, you can afford to send emails in the hundreds or thousands and just see who raises their hand and replies and says, Mm -hmm. I'm interested. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking at a very select audience, it's, free to do this, but it's actually really time expensive. And so a lot of these growth hacking techniques tend to be time expensive. So, you know, you're going to look at LinkedIn, you're going to read their recent articles, you're going to mention their, like, Twitter mentions, um, and sort of see what you can grasp onto to be like, I'm paying attention to you, you're special to me, I'm going to create a custom program just for you. Um, Like, bloggers are really just mini journalists, and you need to treat them with kid gloves and make them feel like... They are your everything, um, each and every one of them. So, yeah. But I think there are some really cool ways to growth hack. It's just the cost is not as upfront, but it's still yeah. there. The time <laughs> expensiveness is, I totally get that. Yeah. And we actually, because we're on a bunch of mailing lists and people kind of know who we are, we get a lot of cold emails too. And when they're not well done, they're actually detrimental to your brand. It's like, oh, yeah. we actually Same had time. someone... I will not say who this is, but uh, someone emailed us to be a client and like genuinely want to be a client. And then somehow a week later I was on their growth hacking, whatever. And their emails were so bad. I was like, Oh, I, I just don't, I don't think it's a, it's a good, you know, I felt bad for them that their emails just didn't, there was no real connection. It was just kind of like clearly just, I was, my email was added to something and they put me in a program and there's no customization at all, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. So, it, like, just for example, if you were going to set up a program like this, um, and for example, you wanted bloggers to send you traffic and see what traffic converted, you know, your first step is setting up that tracking infrastructure, making sure that you're either using your Google Analytics or your Mix Panel or whatever you're going to do to see exactly what that traffic that each blogger sends you does, because mm-hmm. some are going to be like intrinsically more valuable than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to test, right? So you're going to do batches of, say, 50 emails and see what comes back. Then you're going to see 
what the value of each of those bloggers means to you in terms of ROI, and then you're going to scale that effort. So I think, you know, Monica and I talk a lot about looking for tracking, looking for testing solutions, and then looking for traction and sort of rolling that out in a programmatic way and mm-hmm. scaling it up. Mm-hmm. You know, what can we do in this market that we can copy and do in five markets and ten markets and just sort of create that playbook of success? Um, that's really how we would approach a project like that. I love the playbook. And that's you're talking about kind of regionalized plays or yes. city by city yes, or something like that. Yes, which happens a lot these yeah, days, yeah, especially yeah. with um, app-based projects or mm-hmm. um, products. Like a lot of mobile apps roll out city by city now. Oh, I didn't and know so that. Okay. how you are going to sort of enter each market, you can have a general playbook and then you're making it market specific. So if you go from SF to Seattle, you know, you have to tailor your messaging, tailor yep. your images, tailor mm-hmm. your offers, mm-hmm. but the same uh, types of activities will likely work. Interesting. Is that a lot? Of, is that like a lot of your client base? Like, cause I, I actually really like companies like that and I invest in some like Angie's list back in the day and my friends started urban sitter and I, I love how it's, you can replicate kind of what works in one market. Is that where you guys are finding a lot of success? I think, um, again, like it, it really depends on the, on the product. And also I think a lot of product market fit. If you have something that works and your customers love you and you've sort of shown that you can be successful in one city, you can be successful in Mm -hmm. multiple cities. Mm -hmm. If you're still kind of figuring your stuff out and you haven't really locked down your operations in each city and then you try and scale too quickly, that's where we see people run into bad Yelp reviews, Mm -hmm. bad Angie's List Mm -hmm. reviews, and those things can really stop you in your tracks. So if you've sort of cracked that code of of being successful in one place, it's likely that you'll then have enough product market fit to scale it up. Um, And each of those market entry points can be done through a combination of offline uh, events or flyers or direct mail or radio and then online. So you guys do all that stuff for people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really like uh, we've both been at a sort of like a single point of marketing contact at a bunch of companies. And so you sort of dabble in a bunch of things and sort of figure out what works quickly. Yeah, yeah. And you, early in the conversation, you kind of um, you, you referred to consumer startups and then like B2B startups. Is there maybe just touch on a couple of high level points for each category? Because we have a lot of clients that we have a lot of clients that are consumer and then we have a ton of SaaS clients like. How do how does the playbook differ, differ differ for different categories, and what do you advise those those people just at a very high level? Sure, there's definitely a few best practices across the board. So, like in terms of tracking and testing, I think mm-hmm. that is uh, a best practice no matter mm-hmm. what kind of product that you have. So then there's really kind of a spectrum. So there's pure consumer plays, like the B2C market, and then on the other side, there's the huge enterprise B2B. But there's sort of been this, there's sort of started to be this emergence of something in the middle, kind of like a prosumer, or maybe Mm, they're SMB, mm. where it's like utilities for consumers, so it's kind of business-oriented, or or developer tools, or things like that. Exactly, where you have not necessarily like a huge... chain of people that need to approve something and sign a multi-year contract so you know like a single like you said like a developer could just use this and then now the company uses it so uh so that's definitely kind of been an emergence so we see something really interesting uh on that side of things so in terms of channels uh in terms of paid marketing they can live across like a lot of the similar channels and one thing that we see that's really interesting is actually marketing 
B2B products in consumer channels, but targeting the right people. So uh-huh. that's just kind of an unexpected thing, I think, for a lot of people. Is that um, because like everyone's on Facebook at night or something like that? And like you can get the CIO of a of a of an enterprise company on Facebook if you're selling a SaaS product. Yes. The level of hyper targeting that's available now in online marketing is crazy nuts. And that leads to, you know, that hyper targeting helps you, you know, get the right decision makers from the click of a button. It's really amazing. I had a friend who used to target VC firms and actually specific partners at VC firms. This is back in the day through LinkedIn. It it was more of a joke. He wasn't actually trying to sell them anything. He was sending them like crazy messages. It was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. So, but I know what is what LinkedIn and some of these other online platforms are capable of. So, like, for example, let's say you wanted to reach partners at 10 VC firms and you had looked on LinkedIn and identified which partner at each VC firm was the most relevant to you. You could go onto List Builder, type in their URL and their name, and potentially find an email that is valid to reach them at, and then craft a custom email being like, by the way, notice you're doing this, yeah, and sort yeah. of like really tailor yeah. your approach so that you're speaking to them on a one-on-one basis. That's kind of the the timely best practices way yeah. to go about it. If you wanted to reach a thousand VC firms yeah. and you had to be less picky, you could certainly scrape directories and then willy-nilly email them all. Yeah, those willy-nilly emails don't work that well. Though, that <laughs> Not case. for VCs, but yeah. But in in terms of, I think your point about how. You can get B two B buyers through consumer channels. I think that's super interesting. Like, have you have you guys dabbled with like Instagram or some of these other kind of or Snapchat? I don't even I don't know that much about their marketing power. Are they effective? Like, what are you seeing? So I think that these new platforms, as they come available, like Snapchat and Yik Yak or you know whatever mm-hmm. it is that's hot at the moment, are really awesome opportunities for growth hacks. Mm-hmm. So um, one thing that seems to be a common use case for a lot of startups is finding being the early adopter on a platform and figuring it out before anyone else has figured it out, whether that's figuring out in terms of growing a user base and then being able to market to them effectively and speak to them effectively and capturing their attention. So I think for startups, it's really important to be on the pulse of whatever is hot and current and what is emerging because you're going to tap into early adopters. Mm-hmm. If that's your user base, mm-hmm. that's my, that might be where you want to be. Yeah. That's Facebook like six years ago, right? Exactly. Years yeah. Ago. yeah. Um, and so have you guys done any programs on Snapchat or Instagram or are you seeing it is, is anyone doing that kind of stuff? So I think that kind of stuff tends to be a little bit under the radar and mm. in the realm of growth hacking. Ah. So those are kind of are you things you that, can't that, it? that might be kind of things <laughs> that we can't disclose right now, but in like five years, you'll hear about like on, you know, like yeah. some podcast. <laughs> It'll be like, you'll be driving down the, down the road in your Ferrari and be like, yeah, Snapchat really worked in 2016. <laughs> it was awesome. We've definitely done some tests, uh, Periscope, um, video, they're not really podcasts, they're more like, almost like video vines um, for various dating products that have been pretty fun to produce. <laughs> oh, wow. It was like a per- Periscope's like the real-time live video, yeah, right, on yeah. Twitter? Just yeah. trying to see how we can get communities to show yeah. up for different yeah. things and what really resonates and then flip that around for our clients and be like, 
do this. Yeah. Yes. Well, you as you noted earlier, men really like video chatting, so I'm sure they like Periscope too. They do. They do. And um, <laughs> it's really about what you don't show, and sort of like in a very oh, soap opera way. Um, you know, how do you get people's attention by being um, engaging and sort of telling a story without actually showing anything that meaningful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that so, is a very soap opera. That's a good way yeah. of describing that. Yeah. I love it. Hey, we're taking a quick break from our interview of Monica and Hannah from Data Score for a word from one of our friends in the community. Hey, this is David Bergeron from T3 Advisors. I wanted to say thank you to Scott for having me on One California the other day. I also wanted to make sure everyone knew if you needed real estate help for any of your technology company, founders, friends, etc., don't hesitate to give us a call. T3 Advisors, David Bergeron. Hope to hear from you soon. Thanks. Um, okay, so so I interrupted you, but you were talking about the first step is kind of track setting up all your tracking and then starting to test. And like, what yeah. are some ways that people test? Is it like buying fifty dollars the Facebook ads a day, or is it like what do people do that works, or what would you recommend? Right. So the second most important thing is definitely testing and coming out of the gate with a really well thought out segmented plan. So. From the start of things, your goal isn't to spend a ton of money and scale right away because you don't even know what works. So to know what works, what we generally recommend is we have a rule of thumb that you should spend your first several hundred dollars of your budget trying to understand what works by testing as many permutations as you can. Your limit to testing is really only what permutations you want to test. And when I say permutations, that can be a combination of ad copy, the physical creative in it, the targeting, and you know all those different combinations can produce different results for you. And so you're really only limited to your budget and how many permutations that you want to test. And our rule of thumb is that whatever your target acquisition cost is to acquire a new customer or a lead or whatever it is that you're trying to produce, you want to have devote at least three to five X your CPA, we, we call that mm-hmm. cost per action or cost per acquisition, uh, to testing to understand if that permutation works. So that's kind of a good rule of thumb. And so we usually, out of the gate, set up a multivariate test and see what works mm-hmm. and then go from there. So if, if a lead is worth, or you, you'll pay $50 for a customer, you would recommend spending $150 to $250 testing a bunch of different permutations. Exactly. Out. Like exactly. different copy, like, hey, you know, try, you know, whatever it does to get people's attention or maybe different photos in the ad or whatever it is. Letting that one permutation run for that budget. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you spend too little, so there's kind of like two, two errors that can happen in this side of things is people test too little budget and get a knee-jerk reaction and turn, turn things off too fast before they've even had enough chance to optimize itself and you know see what's you know Mm -hmm. to actually see what's working on a statistically significant basis well don't people need to like see an ad a couple times before they click or it's like some awareness actually helps like i don't know maybe i'm just one of these people like i'm not going to click on something the first time but if i see it a couple times it it means it's more real to me something like that or am i just weird I think, um, you know, certainly if you're doing advertising on a couple channels, um, something like TV or radio, you do need to hear it multiple times to be Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, okay, they're still around. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking of doing it. I'm going to take that action right now. For Facebook... Um, you know, I think a lot of what you're seeing is probably retargeting, where you clicked on an ad one time, yeah. you went to J. Crew, God help you, and then you're seeing J. Crew ads 
for days. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think that might be a little overzealous on their part. You can set frequency caps so you're not like stalked. Yeah. Um, on the internet, I've been stalked by many retargeting, it's, but it's also it pretty effective. Like you yeah. do remember it, you know. You can do, for example, on retargeting something like time delayed messages. So the first week you see one message, the second week you mm. see another. You can thread coupons in there. You can also do, um, you know, retargeting based on uh, if somebody visits a website that's like yours. Certain companies offer yeah. that service as well. Mm. Um, but it's really just figuring out who your target customer is and how to hone in on wherever they are online mm-hmm. or offline mm-hmm. um, and sort of speak to them in their language. You know, it. It's not that you're selling um, you know, the product itself. You're selling the end result of what that product is going to mm-hmm. give you. So is mm-hmm. it peace of mind? Is it like more energy? Whatever yeah. it is, that's what you want to convey in your ads. That makes sense. And just for the audience, like, and I'll maybe butcher this, but retargeting basically like Facebook or Google gives you a little piece of code that you can put on your website. And so whenever any of us go to that website, you're now kind of like automatically entered in this database of, of a visitor and you can retarget up to six months. Right. And so you may, someone might not even mess, you may go to J crew and they may send their first retargeted ad a month later. So it's not quite, um, as creepy as that sounds. (laughs) You're not in a database. Um, you've been cookied and there's nothing wrong with being cookied. Um, but basically they're tracking you in a non personally identifiable way. So it's not you, but it's, your browser, browser. and yeah. you know you went someplace and now you're going to see those ads yep. and six months is a little long i feel like most cookies usually have a, a life of two to three months max these days even less depending on how people purge their cookies mm-hmm. um but yeah it's, it's not that we know everything about you or your name mm-hmm. you know it's nothing this that- isn't also this isn't you monica and <laughs> yes. doing this it's like it's like Facebook is doing this or yes, Google's doing this. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Or AdRoll. You know, there's yeah. companies that specialize yeah. in just this service. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, the um, degree of specificity of the ads and the types of targeting that they can they can do change a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's just online. Yeah. That was a good, that was a good like, public disclaimer right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to catch those things. Yeah. It, it's a hot topic in online marketing, but I think – Relevance is good for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's I'd rather see ads personally that are more relevant to me than not relevant. So mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, that's used for the good and not for yeah. these evil things yeah. that could happen. But um, on, on the testing side of things, um, here's a pretty easy kind of like three-step testing process that we recommend awesome. to everyone. So the number one thing that people forget to test is what you say to your customers. So your ad copy and then maybe the image if you're doing anything visual like in your in your creative. So the copy is a super powerful way to relay what it is that you do and why they need you and to get them to buy it now or sign up yeah, now. Yeah. So those components are things that should be iterated on all the time. Even simple word changes like saying buy now versus shop now can have like a really huge impact on your ultimate lifetime value and conversions. It's really kind of mind blowing. So number one, don't forget to test various ad copies and creatives for your campaigns. Do you on that note, because I'm a huge believer in copy. I worked at an e-publishing company and I learned how powerful copy was. Do you recommend someone works with an expert? Like how do you how do you folks service your clients in terms of copy? Talk to your customers. Oh, interesting. <laughs> if you can't hire somebody, 
please talk to your customers. Ask them what they liked about your brand, why they bought your brand, what they are interested in, and what resonates with them. If you can't talk to your customers or you don't have any customers, survey people. Go to a mall, take you know detailed results, go have about 20 conversations. That's the cheap and dirty way to do it. Uh, then there's things like SurveyMonkey or UserTesting.com. But you know, a lot of your initial copy suggestions should come out of exactly who you think your target audience is and what they told you was the best thing about your product. That's really great advice. That's amazing. Yeah. And people do forget to do that like all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising. That's, that's sort of one of the number one things that we, we ask. Have you talked to your customers lately uh, on a regular basis, the happy ones? And the unhappy ones. <laughs> Take, taking that time is Unhappy critical. is a really good call, too. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So so working on the copy, yes. this, that's the first step. Yes. And then after you've actually run a couple ads, you if, you if the marketing platform that you're using to produce those ads allows you to kind of slice and dice the demographics, you want to see who has been responding to your ads. So like for example on Facebook, you can do an audience report and see is it men or women that are buying? Is it mm. people who are over 30 or under 30? And I think a lot of times our customers are super surprised that who they thought was their target audience just isn't. So <laughs> like what's an example of that? Like uh, you know, you thought women were buying stuff but it was really men buying as a gift or something like that. So we work with a company that um, deals in sort of sport experiences, and there was a strong hypothesis that we had that their customer base was going to be mainly male. But it turns out that women really like the idea of a, not exactly chaperoned, but a guided experience. And so we think that it's resonating a lot more with women because men just like to go out and try things on their own, whereas women might be more comfortable with having somebody who knows the ropes and wants to sort of get a feel mm -hmm. as they try something brand mm -hmm. new. Um, if you break your leg in the wilderness, there's someone there to save you. Oh, that would be so nice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Rock climbing alone, not a good idea. Don't yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Um, so, so kind of breaking down that audience report and making sure you know exactly who's buying from you is super important. Totally. And that might change your total perspective on your business. Because if you find out that, hey, it's not men who are buying, maybe that completely changes like who you show on your landing pages mm -hmm. and how you frame you know, everything and who you really cater to, right? Mm -hmm. So Even your color choice. Exactly. So um, that's definitely another thing to test and lumping that back into the uh, copy and imagery. So, And then last thing that you want to check when you're trying to optimize your campaigns is platform. So uh, we previously mentioned like with tracking, there's so many platforms. There's desktop, there's mobile web, there's Android and iOS. So um, what we... Can you tell us what mobile web is? Because I feel like a lot of people actually don't know what that is and it's confusing. Sure. So mobile web is when you go on your smartphone and you open up a browser and you look at things there instead of downloading an app and experiencing the, the you know, product through that. So mobile web is a huge and growing source of traffic. It's also the most heavily under-optimized experience mm. that startups and companies in general have. They just don't think about mobile web because, uh, you know, Everyone focuses on your website and how that looks on a computer, because that's what you develop on, and then your app. Mm -hmm. But mobile web, for a lot of companies, is sometimes over 50% of their overall yeah. traffic. It's mm -hmm. kind of crazy, and it's super unoptimized. 
So it's like when I'm browsing in Chrome and the first thing that I see is, do you want to go to our mobile website or stay within the browser? Is that what we're talking about? So there's definitely two different ways to experience a mobile website, like Hannah mentioned. So the old experience on mobile web was to have basically your normal website shrunken down into the browser, and then you kind of pinch and zoom to see what you want to see. And that was a really horrible experience for most consumers because, I mean, no one wants to do that. It's just difficult. So with the way that things have moved with technology, a lot of companies are now able to produce mobile responsive websites and things that just look really good in a mobile browser and are easy to tap into and expand. And having a mobile optimized site is awesome for your SEO. And potentially to buy things on. Like I might just check out on my mobile website for any sort of shopping experience. So you certainly wouldn't want to forget that if you had, say, something you were selling on your website, right? Yeah, definitely. I think one of the number one things that we see when we're trying to optimize a client's uh, conversion rate is that usually one of their platforms is really lacking in conversion. Mm. So as a first step in terms of con- optimizing, we might just suggest to turn it off and that that kind of traffic until they can optimize that platform. But if that platform's working, awesome for them. We'll scale that all day long. And you might fix like a lead input form or maybe it's a checkout thing or something. But there's like we, we recently were told that one of our, our little uh, lead form wasn't working on, I think it was like Internet Explorer or something like that. And we're like, oh, shoot. But then not only people use Internet Explorer. Maybe you, you know? don't even want those kind of customers. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's actually, a good filter. Yeah, not many like Series A startups are, you, are, scroll, are uh, surfing the web and, uh, in, in Internet Explorer. But you know what I mean. Like you just got to fix these things and make sure it's actually working. Um, okay, so that was a little bit of digression, and I caused. So thank you for answering those questions. So after we, after you do, you do the iterations, like testing a bunch of stuff. Then you get your kind of report on who's actually buying, and you really kind of narrow down who your target is. The third step was getting traction. So yes. now you're ready to scale, and this is like the exciting piece. <laughs> so um, this this side of things, you know, it's people think you can just. Open your budgets and then boom, like yeah. the traffic will flood. Everyone wants to just <laughs> write checks and have make money back, you know, have money come back towards them. Not that simple, right? Right. That, I mean, that would be great. But, you know, there's a lot of things that you still have to plan for successful growth and uh, well-planned growth. So depending on the channel that you're using, you might need to do, you know, add more keywords for expansion. If you're doing SEM, if you're on, you know, Facebook, you might need to build out more segments that convert so that you can tap into more reach. But at the end of the day, one really important thing that's also a hot topic right now in marketing is being able to leverage algorithms and programmatic buying. Mm. So what that means is that you're able to use really sophisticated algorithms from Facebook, Google, or whatever platform that you're buying from to help you optimize your campaign. That doesn't mean you can set it and forget it, but you have basically some brain power that can do things much faster than a human looking over your shoulder and helping mm-hmm. you. So being mm-hmm. able to know what re- what resources are at your fingertips and what levers you have mm-hmm. can really help. Mm-hmm. Like an example that might be Google or Facebook knows that the people who are converting in your offer actually look like this other subgroup over here that we're not smart enough to really think about. Like we don't think about that. But Facebook, who has a profit incentive to try to get you to spend more on advertising, 
does that work for you? And basically says like, oh, you should target this other group. They look exactly like the group that's working for you right now. I think that makes sense. I think another way to think about scaling up is to sort of think of um, you found a channel that works. You found a landing page setup that works. You're comfortable with your ROI. Now how are you going to expand what's working to different niches? So let's say, for example, um, you have a website about dating, and you've worked really well with one very specific demographic. Now, how can you tweak that to expand to multiple demographics? Mm -hmm. How can you create an an experience that works for them just Mm -hmm. like you did for that first group? And do you go back in that test phase again, an iteration phase, and then... Yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely, as soon as you're switching your target audience at all, you are doing that same sort of, uh, you know, making sure everything is being Mm -hmm. tracked correctly, testing, and then iterating based on results. But I think, um, you know, you want to make something that people love and that they want to tell their friends about and then just repeat that. And so, you know, if you are, for example, just skinning your pages differently and changing your language a little bit, but the core product is the same, Mm -hmm. sometimes that's actually enough to just make the difference and be like, hey, they took the time to make something that speaks to me. Mm-hmm. They just happen to do that to 150 yeah. different groups. But that's okay. They, they don't know that because they're not in the, those other groups. Exactly. Um, cool. Okay, so this has been amazing. Can, can you kind of tie it in a bow? I know it's a lot to ask. But how, do you, how do you summarize like, your advice for us? Because I feel like this was an amazing beginner course so that people kind of know how to get going. Part of the answer to this is hire a professional like you guys, <laughs> right? Like but how would you summarize this? And maybe I'd also just love for you to tell the audience like where they can find you if they have this problem, if they need help in growth marketing. Like, give a little plug on yourself too. So okay, so to, I'll do the I'll do some of the the summing up, and then Monica can can help me um, if I miss anything. But first, I think it's. Make sure that your tracking infrastructure is sound, that you know what's going on when people are actually getting to your site or getting to use your product. Then talk to your customers. Make sure that you're dialed in and to the, the like best degree with who your target audience is and what they say about you. Then you're going to test channels. So, you know, running whatever budget you feel comfortable with and then seeing how those tests go and iterating. And then once you find something that works, building that out a hundred, a thousand times until you've reached scale. Yeah. That's I think a that's a really good summary. Yeah. Awesome. I think, well, I hope, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> pressure. That was a lot of pressure. I really put you on the spot there. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so for startups that want to grow in a data-driven way, just focus on the three T's, tracking, testing, and traction. So tracking, making sure you know who converts, testing, so that you know what converts, and then traction, so you know where to push and how to grow. So if they just focus on those three things, that's a good step. And another tip that a lot of people forget about is that there's lots of documentation on the internet that especially like if you're buying on Facebook they've got great documentation go read that like you're not reinventing the wheel a lot of people have run into the same problems you have uh, so definitely read that stuff you can also check out Datascore's blog we're helping people all the time uh, with these things at datascoreinc.com um, and if you have questions we're happy to help you too so feel free to reach out and you know we work with a lot of startups that are in the same position where they're trying to figure out their marketing strategy and we'd be happy to help that's awesome. What is Monica at datascoreinc.com? Sure. Yeah, you can email me at Monica at datascoreinc.com. Awesome. Thank you, ladies, for coming by. This has been so informative. It's, this is, like, really hard stuff. Like, and you said it perfectly at the beginning. Like, people want to do this. 
they experiment, but they don't really know how to do it like in a scalable way. It's tough. It's it's if you figure it out, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing. So let us know when you find things that work, especially if you have a, a niche oriented product. We're right. always interested in those stories. Or call or email Data Score. Awesome. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks so much for listening to the One California Podcast with Monica and Hannah from DataScore. We really appreciate you stopping by. On our way out, we're going to have another one of our friends from the community say a quick word. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Hey, One California, Amber Merrigan here with Avis and Young. Thanks so much for having me on One California Podcast. If you have any questions about startup real estate in Oakland, I'm your girl. You can reach me at Avis and Young, Amber Merrigan, Oakland.